I don't wanna be the boy that runs in the back I don't wanna be the kid that falls in the dark All I really want to be is the guy that gets that girl Welcome to the AJ Steele Show We discuss politics, sex, money, and everything in between And now, here's your host, an immigrant, a self-made millionaire an American, A.J. Steele. How would you feel if someone at work stole your favorite jacket? How would you feel if they wore that same jacket to work every day, but you couldn't prove that it was yours? Would you be angry? Wouldn't you just be seething inside? And how would you feel if a football coach treated your son unfairly and kept him on a bench? Even though everyone knows your son is a great football player, yet you can do absolutely nothing about it. How would you feel if someone sexually molested your wife or your young daughter? I don't know what I would feel, but I know what I would do. And believe me when I tell you, you don't want to know what I would do. But how would you feel if you're a woman and the man who raped you is admired by millions of people. What would you do if that man was the most powerful man in the world and has the full support of his equally powerful wife? What would you do if the man who raped you was Bill Clinton and his wife was Hillary Clinton? Welcome to the AJ Steele Show. I've been following the story of Juanita Broderick for many, many years. And I read her wonderful book, You'd Better Put Some Ice on That. And then I started asking myself one central question. Who is Juanita Broderick? And the answer I came up with is much more complex than I realized and much more interesting. She's a mother, a grandmother, a nurse, a successful businesswoman, an author. Heck, she's a feminist before feminism became a bumper sticker. And she's a woman who reluctantly became a big part of American history. A true American. And I forgot to mention one last thing. Juanita Broderick was a victim of rape. Throughout our interview, I found Juanita to be genuine, down to earth, and very tough. She's warm and believable, and she doesn't let her life be defined by her victimhood. She defines her life by her actions. Before the interview, she promised me that no questions were off the table. And that's the truth that she delivered. She talked about her rape by Bill Clinton and the attacks from Hillary and the media. And she even told me about all of her meetings with her modern-day knight in shining armor, President Donald Trump, a straight-talking man who has helped her find her own voice. But not everything in life is politics. She also told me about her childhood struggles and how she built a wonderful nursing home in Arkansas and how from a very young age she set out to serve her community. Talking with Juanita made me realize that she's a multifaceted woman, a woman who's worked really hard and did everything she could to achieve the American dream. She didn't set out to make history, but somehow history found her. Before we start our fascinating interview with Juanita Broderick, I want to thank all of the wonderful listeners and fans of the AJ Steele Show. Thank you for listening and making us a Top 40 podcast. I hope you stay with us for a long time and that you subscribe to our show and spread the word to all of your friends. I also want to remind you that Juanita Broderick's book, You Better Put Some Ice on That, How I Survived Being Raped by Bill Clinton, is available for sale on her own private website, JuanitaBroderick.com as well as Amazon.com. It's a great book and a real inspiring, wonderful read. And now we're going to take a short break, and when we get back, you will get to listen to our touching and no-holds-barred interview with Juanita Broderick. This is the AJ Steele Show. Stick around. All I really want to be is the guy that gets the the AJ Steele Show. Think of your loudmouth best friend, hated by all the wives, because he tells it just like it is. Finally see. 
Juanita Broderick, welcome to the AJ Steele Show. Oh, it's so nice to be here, AJ. It's nice to have you. And you know, we have so many questions for you, but let's start at the very beginning. You were born and grew up in a small town called Van Buren, Arkansas. What was your childhood like? Oh, it was, it was lovely. It, I mean, except for the abuse from my mom, I, I lived in a neighborhood with children my age, a little older and a little younger. And it was just that time in, in, uh, in our lives, when, well, not in yours, but in mine, when you left your doors open, you played outside all day long, and it, 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 was, it was a good life. Sounds like you had a nice childhood overall, but you mentioned your mom. Well, yeah, my mom uh, was, as I refer to in the book, you know, that, that she was in a, very, a, a very abusive person to my dad, to my sister, and myself. Uh, my sister and I suffered the most uh, from her with uh, verbal abuse and with actually hitting and slapping and, and things like that. It was, um, it, you know, I never had any of my friends come to my home or anything because of that, because I, we never knew what kind of a mood she would be in. And, and, and so uh, it, it, that part was difficult. But when I was away from her, my life was great. And you know, it sounds like you turned out to be a very strong woman. You went to a nursing school and eventually you bought a nursing home and became a very successful businesswoman. It's a tough business to run a nursing home, isn't it? It's, yes, it's, it was very difficult. But I not only worked for nursing homes for about two or three years prior to that, well, probably about four years, uh, I built the nursing home myself. You know, I was involved in the design and the construction. Wow, that's quite a feat for a young woman to do. And all the regulations, all the state and the federal regulations, I'm sure it wasn't easy. I heard somewhere that the only thing that's more regulated than nursing homes are nuclear power plants. Listen, that's about the truth. And uh, it, it was amazing. The, the structure that, that I chose was uh, where it was this prefab concrete, old shell of the building, uh, went up in seven days. It was <laughs> it wow. was a huge story in Van Buren because these huge trucks would come in and deliver these huge walls that would set up. So it was a complete empty lot, and then in seven days you saw the whole shell of the of the nursing home. That's amazing. Well, you're very lucky that it wasn't the government that was building your nursing home because it probably would have taken them seven years, not seven days, to get the whole thing done. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I'd like working for the government. <laughs> How many beds did you have in your facility? Started out with 58 mm -hmm. and then added 41 and then added another 10. Wow, a pretty big place, huh? Yeah, yeah, it was. And I loved it. You know, I loved the elderly. I loved, I loved everything about them. I had such good experiences prior to building my own nursing home. And it was just a, it was a pleasant place to be. Since you're an expert in geriatric care, what are your thoughts about the way we treat older people in America today? You know, I'm not around it too much anymore as far as how they're treated in nursing homes. But I think it's really a question of how, you know, the elderly are being treated. So many are in their homes alone. I have a very good example of that. I have a neighbor here in my gated community that uh, would drive to see her father once a week. And that's because it was about an hour, an hour and a half away. And there were some other people that came in to see about him. And it just so happened that he died alone. Oh. You know, after she left one week and then comes in the next week to find him. And you hear about that so much. People, the elderly, that, don't, that, that have no one to look after them. You know, that's very, very sad. And um, I know nursing homes get a bad reputation because some of them are really bad, but some of them are really good. And some of the nurses are just wonderful people. Yes. Oh. I don't know if you remember, AJ, that, that I also had a children's facility. You know, I saw that in a book. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that was, uh, it, it just goes to show you how, how I really like the elderly. I started this, uh, what they call an ICFMR, 
for severely handicapped and mentally retarded children. Mm -hmm. And I got it all set up so that my husband could run it. You know, I preceptored him through all of the process that he could be an administrator for about two years and sort of go back and forth from that to my nursing home. But that was not for me. I finally just said, okay, it's yours. (laughs) I'm going back to where I'm comfortable. I know how tough it is and I really admire what you did. And especially back then for a woman to do this stuff, you were like a real feminist, huh? Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but I didn't realize it at the time. It, it was just something that I did. It was just sort of in my nature. And uh, it, was, uh, it was exciting. To do all these things at such a young, early age would have been enough for most people. And there would have been a full life for most people. But in 1978, you met a young attorney general who was running for governor of Arkansas. His name was Bill Clinton. Tell us how you met him. Sure. Some of my friends talked me into... Uh, we'd all seen his campaign on television and everything. And some of my friends talked to me of going down to a meeting and volunteering. And I thought, you know, I've never been involved in politics. And I thought that would be a fun thing to do. So I did that for less than a month. And uh, just prior uh, to him coming to my nursing home, his office calls, his campaign office, and said he was going to be in the area and could he please come by my nursing home as one of his stops? And listen, we were so excited. I notified all the families they came and we had buttons to give them and t-shirts and things. Mm-hmm. And so the day comes and we've got this big sign out in the front of the nursing home, you know, welcome Bill Clinton. And he comes in and almost as soon as he comes in, the newspaper asks for a, uh, a picture of a couple of residents and uh, Mr. Clinton and myself. And that's the picture you see on the front of my book. And uh, after the newspaper took the picture, he comes over to me and starts talking. And if you've ever been around Bill Clinton uh, or experienced a one-on-one conversation with him, he's so charismatic Hmm. and he never loses eye contact with you. And you feel like that you're the only person in the room. So he started talking, asked me about me and about my nursing home. So that's when I took the opportunity to say, hey, I'm, an, I'm not only a nurse and an administrator here, I'm the owner. And we're struggling just like all nursing homes in Arkansas are. Mm-hmm. And he just stopped me. I started to tell him about the per diem rate being so low in, in order to do satisfactory care. Yes. And he said, are you ever in Little Rock? He said, I'd really like to talk to you about this. So that's, and I told him, I said, yes, I'll be there in about three weeks. He says, well, call my office and we'll get together and talk about this. And I was so excited. I worked for a couple of nights getting all some information ready for him to show what it costs to take care of one patient versus what the uh, Medicaid per diem was. And I was excited to, to share all that with him. Well, I bet. I mean, he was a young guy and he was very charismatic and he was a rising star. I mean, that, that's what he was, right? Yeah. And his, his um, ads on TV were so good. And, and we were excited about this man. Well, my nurse and I leave on April the 24th to go to Little Rock for mm-hmm. our seminar. And we get down there and we check into the Camelot Hotel. The next morning when we wake up, we call his office. And a young lady answers, and I said, hi, this is Mrs. Hickey. Is Mr. Clinton there? And she says, oh, Mrs. Hickey, uh, I was told if you ever call to call this number. It's uh, Mr. Clinton's apartment. So I call the number. He picks up almost immediately. And uh, he says, uh, uh, I, told, I tell him who I am. He says, oh, yes, I remember you, Juanita. Mm. I said, well, I'm here, uh, and I brought all the information that I wanted to show you about the nursing home. And I said, my nurse and I can come to your office at noon because we have an hour break. And he said, you know, I'm not going to be in the nursing at at the uh, campaign quarters today. Mm. Uh, He said, why don't I just come to your hotel right now? And it shocked me. I thought, oh, my gosh, that's that's great. I don't have to drive clear across Little Rock and and miss my lunch break. So uh, he said uh, I told him where I was staying and he said, we'll just meet down in, in the coffee shop. He said, I'll call your room when I get there. So I hung up and turned to Norman. I said, well, I'm going to meet him down in the coffee shop. And so 
she goes on to the meeting. I'm waiting for him to call. In a little while, the phone rings, and it's Bill Clinton, and he says, you know, it's just so crowded down here, and there's even reporters. Could we have coffee and talk about this in your room? Wow. And I know, I, I, I can remember, uh, Christine Blasey Ford may not remember. <laughs> I remember exactly feeling nervous. Uh, I, I had never been alone in a hotel room with a man I didn't know, and I did not know Bill Clinton. And uh, I just remember thinking, oh, but I, I, I allowed him to come up to my room. And he said, okay. I said, I'll, I'll order coffee to the room. Sure, we can meet up here. And uh, he said, okay, I'm talking with someone, and I'll be up there in a little while. The A.J. Steele Show will be right back. You're listening to The A.J. Steele Show, where no topic is off limits, no discussion too harsh, no truth more true. The A.J. Steele Show, we tell it like it is. back with Juanita's frightening encounter with Bill Clinton. And so the time goes by. Here comes the people with the coffee. Almost as soon as they leave, I hear a knock on my door. And I always wondered, he knew I was ordering coffee. Did he wait out there in the hallway somewhere till they left? But anyway, I go to the door when I hear the knock, open the door, and there stands Bill Clinton in these dark sunglasses. And that that sort of made me nervous. And he walks in the door and uh, takes off his sunglasses and he takes off his suit coat and puts it over the chair and goes around the table. It was a rather large table over by the window. And he goes uh, around to the side and I start to pour the coffee. And as I start to pour the coffee, he says, come here a minute, I wanna show you something. Hmm. So I walk around to where he's standing and he's pointing down below at a little building. And he says, I want to restore that when I become governor. He said, that was an old 1800 jailhouse. And I could have said, well, that'd be nice or something like that. Oh, that was his small talk is what you're saying. Yeah, just small talk. And so I start to go back around the table so I can pour the coffee and get my files. And all of a sudden he grabs me and he tries to start kissing me. And I just, I have no idea what I said. I was in such a state of shock at that moment. And I, it, it was just uh, so surprising. And then I, I, I remember saying, no, you know, that's something yeah. to the effect that's not going to happen. And I start again around the table. And that's when he grabs me again. And he doesn't take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. And he starts kissing me. And when I start screaming, which is what I started to do, he starts to bite my lip. I, that, that was a shock and it was painful. And I still struggle. I try to get away from him and he pushes me backwards onto the bed. And I am in disbelief. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just in complete disbelief what's happening. And, but I still think that I can get away from him. You know, you think, uh-uh, this is not going to happen. Yeah. And I was about 110 pounds as a very large man. I could not get away from him. So I do, the only thing I can, I start screaming. Yes. And every time I scream is when he starts biting on my lip. Wow. And I, I, I thought he was going to bite my lip off. It frightened me to death. And he tears at my clothes. I'm, I'm still in a, in, in a state of panic. I cannot. I've never known anyone that's been raped. I mean, I hadn't at that time. Yeah. None of my friends had ever experienced anything like this. I'd never talked to anybody who had experienced anything like that. And it happened. If something this horrible happened these days, he would have been locked up. And the key would have been thrown away. But I guess this was a long time ago, the 1970s, and things were very, very different then, weren't they? 
Oh, yes. I can remember so much when something would happen that a man was out of place with a woman. And I can remember my mother and my mother's friends and older women saying, just deal with it. Men will be men. Mm. And that's sort of what we did back then, AJ, in the 50s and 60s and 70s. You, you, I can remember salesmen coming into my office and making the most crude remark. I did not have the gumption uh, to say, get out of here. We just tolerated. It was obviously a different era, and men and women acted in a different way. And But I have to say, not every guy who makes jokes or acts crudely is a rapist. Some guys talk like pigs, but they never do anything like what Bill Clinton did. Oh, exactly. Exactly. I remember after the rape that I would not allow a, a, a salesman to come to my office. I told my assistant, I said, if anyone comes in to talk to me, you call me out to the desk. That's how, that's how that rape affected me. He traumatized After, you. Yeah. Oh, oh I, I can't begin to tell you, you know, I, I, it, just like I said in my tweet long ago that it just, it never goes away. You are always seem to be on your guard, but, After the rape, the, he was the most insensitive person I've, I've ever seen in my life. I'm sitting up on the side of the bed. My clothes are torn. I'm hurting all over from being held down and from being raped and from my lip being bitten. And mm -hmm. I'm held down for that length of time, probably 20 minutes. And... I sit up on the side of the bed. I'm trying to gather the cover around my waist. And he calmly gets up and puts on his suit coat and looks at me like, what on earth are you, are you crying about? Hmm. And he said, don't worry, I'm sterile. I had mumps when I was a boy. Hmm. And I, that just went through me. I thought, how dare you say that to me after what you've just done? That's, it just didn't make sense. And then he starts to walk to the door. He puts on his sunglasses and he motions to my lip, which is so swollen and bleeding by that time, and says, you better put some ice on that and walks out the door. Unbelievable. You know, that's, that's a classic case of a psychopath, basically a predator with no emotion and no sympathy or empathy for that matter. Amazing. Amazing. But I'd also like to tell your listening audience that my friend came back and found me about 30 minutes afterwards. I had just laid back down in the bed. I couldn't, I couldn't even think about what to do. And she came back to the room and found me in that condition and said, you know, what do we do? Well, we both knew there was nothing we could do. There's no one in the world that would have believed me. This mm. man regulated, as the attorney general, and you know this, he regulated my business. And they say, well, why didn't you go to the police? He was the police. I had nowhere to turn. And, of course, I told other people about it that first week. But prior to the rape, I was very involved in his campaign locally and had helped set up a uh, fundraiser at my friend's house. My friend had this beautiful home up on, uh, we played tennis together, and she had this beautiful home up on the mountain uh, in Van Buren. And so we'd arranged to have a fundraiser for Bill Clinton there. And uh, her husband was my dentist, Chriswell. It was Buddy and Betty Chriswell. Listen, I was like a zombie for the three weeks after the rape leading up to that fundraiser, completely forgot about it and, and wouldn't have gone if, if, if I had remembered it. And so Betty calls and she says, I need the list. And I said, uh, you know, those that were going to, to uh, the, the donors. And I said, okay. I said, Betty, I'm not feeling well, but I'll run those up to you before the meeting. And so that's what I did about 30 to 45 minutes before the meeting, I go up to Betty and I also had about three or four checks that was in my van that I would go around and put up yard signs and everything mm. that people had given me very, very small checks, 10, 20, $25. So I was giving those to the lady who was in charge of his campaign 
and giving the list to Betty and telling everybody I couldn't stay, I had to leave. Well, about that time, here comes Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton through the back kitchen area. Uh, I know they're coming in because the man who drove them there was also a friend of mine. Uh, his name was Chuck Watts and he was a local pharmacist and a very big Clinton supporter. He, he didn't know until it came out in the news what had happened to me. I see. Uh, but anyway, he comes over to me and he says, let me tell you, he said, the topic of the conversation all the way from the airport was Bill and Hillary asking questions about you. I panic. So I start toward the door. Before I can get to the door, I can see out of the corner of my eye, here comes Hillary Clinton straight for me. This is the A.J. Steele Show. I don't want to be the AJ Steele, not right, not left, just right. We are now returning to Juanita Broderick's first meeting with Hillary Clinton and her first meeting with Donald Trump. And she comes straight up to me and, and as she's walking to me, I'm thinking, this poor woman, what am I going to say to her before I get out of here? She comes over, takes a hold of my hand and says, I just want you to know how appreciative that Bill and I are for everything you do in this campaign. And I could have nodded. I don't know what I did. And I started to turn and walk away because I was almost to the door. And then I feel somebody grab me from behind. And I think it's somebody going to tell me goodbye. I turn around and it's Hillary Clinton. And she's got a hold of my arm. And she pulls me down to her and she says, do you understand everything you do? My God, I yanked my arm from hers and I left. You know, that's so scary, actually. And uh, wow. So she wasn't a poor woman. She's a snake herself. She was just a partner in his business, huh? Oh, exactly. And that's before she had all of her entourage to do her dirty work for her. She was going to take care of me herself. Wow. Do you think that they're a real husband and wife or are they just a power couple? I think they're a power couple. I don't think, I think now you hear them say about the things they do together. Well, in Arkansas, all we hear about that he is that he's at his library most of the time up in his penthouse with women. And yet nothing ever happens to Bill Clinton or to Hillary Clinton. The media won't even talk about these kind of things. They don't even pretend to be fair. We all know they won't cover President Trump in any kind of an honest, objective way. And I still remember when you had that interview with Dateline NBC in the 90s. They held it back completely until after Bill Clinton's impeachment was done. And then recently, ABC News held back another Clinton-related sex story, the one involving Jeffrey Epstein. They held that one for three whole years. I could go on and on about the media, but, 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 but let me ask you, how did the media treat you in the 90s? Oh, horrible. You know, one of the worst ones was Geraldo uh, uh, Rivera. I'll never forget when he had his show, how he called me a liar. And to this day, I have absolutely no respect for the man for how he treated me back then. But it was difficult because I was, when the NBC held my interview, well, let me go back. Lisa Myers and I had been talking for about a year. And uh, finally, I decided, yes, I'm going to do this interview because my name had been released as being Jane Doe number five in the uh, Paula Jones suit. Listen, AJ, I'm not brave. I would never have come forward had I not been outed by the Paula Jones suit. I was comfortable. I was happy. And my nursing home was, both of them were doing well. And I just didn't, I didn't want to be involved, but I was, that's what happened. And so um, when Lisa Meyer said, well, your name's out now, you need to do this and tell it your own way uh, before they spin it like they usually do. <laughs> and so I said, okay, I'll do it. They came to my home on January the 20th, 1999 and said that it would air on January the 29th before the impeachment was over. 
So that's what I had depended on. And then on January 29th, I get the call or shortly, shortly after that, uh, well, Lisa says, we have good news and bad news. I said, okay. And she said, the good news is you're credible. And I said, what's the bad news? And she said, the bad news is you're too credible. And so what do you do with that? And she said that she and Tim Russert were trying so hard to get it on the air. Well, of course, we know they held it. They'll, they'll never admit it. Even Ronan Farrell called me and said, did I have any proof that they had held it? And I said, no, I don't. But everyone knows they did. I did hear recently that Ronan Farrow believes your story. And I think that he's doing some real important work and he's exposing a lot of real bad people. How is the media treating you nowadays? Well, the media does pretty well. You know, I really don't have any. I think it all changed when uh, Michelle Goldberg in the New York Times in 2017 came out with her, um, her article, op-ed, whatever it was, I Believe Juanita. That really surprised me. And then Caitlin Flanagan after that. So most people, what, what drives me crazy is most people know I'm telling the truth, but they don't care. You know, I had my wife watch some of your older interviews uh, because she's a woman. And women can tell when another woman tells the truth or not. And I asked her, because I'm a guy. You know, guys, we're a little rougher. You know, we, we have questions because we've been on the other side of things too, as you know. Exactly. And my wife told me I believe her 100%. So if my wife believes you, I believe you too. Oh, thank you, AJ, and thank her too. I'd like to change gears a little bit and move on to the 2016 elections, if you don't mind. Sure. I remember the second debate coming up and the whole media in a frenzy jumping all over President Trump's rude locker room talk. And people said, oh, he's finished. He's done. And then the second debate is about to begin. And there's a press conference, and they open the door, and we see you out there. You're sitting out there with President Trump right next to you and three other women and a million flashbulbs flashing. What was it like meeting President Trump? Oh, it was awesome. Uh, I, I was so impressed with him. Uh, we met him. Of course, we, you know, we were kept hidden all day long. Mm -hmm. it was, uh, it, we had no idea that we were going to be in a press conference prior to the uh, debate and we went to his hotel to meet him and he was lovely. He couldn't have been nicer. Thanked us for being there. And, but what was really funny is uh, then Steve Bannon showed us into this room and I turned, I remember turning to Kathleen Willie and saying, are we going to eat? Cause here's this long table with <laughs> five chairs sitting at it. We had no idea we were going to be interviewed. Hmm. And so Mr. Trump comes in, sits between the four of us. And he says, let them in. And I said uh, to Kathleen, I said, let who in? And about that time, here comes all these cameras and reporters. And we're just shocked. We had no idea that we were going to be interviewed or make a statement. He sure knows how to put on a show, doesn't he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, but, you know, AJ, I'd do it all over again, even knowing that I did, you know, even knowing the circumstances, I, I would do it completely all over. <laughs> of course. And, but what really upset me is so many of the uh, media saying they thought it was just so distasteful for uh, Donald Trump to set us there in the front row to glare at Hillary Clinton. We couldn't even see Hillary Clinton. Oh, really? She could not see us either. The only one who saw us was when we walked in was Bill and Chelsea. And I love it. I love it. Yeah. And that's the expression that you see on him all bug-eyed, that's when we walked into the uh, debate. Did you feel that you were being used as a political prop by President Trump? Oh, my son asked me that, my son, the attorney. He said, Mom, they're just, they're just using you. Don't go, don't do that. And I said, but you don't understand. We have been told to go away for so long, and we now have the most public forum to say our piece again. And I said, I'm going. Well, I thought that was a very wonderful moment in time. The way you guys countered Hillary and the crooked media, or is it the fake news media? You just destroyed all of their narrative. And Hillary was just weird in that debate. She just couldn't get focused. And the camera kept flashing to Bill Clinton, and he looked horrible, like he was going to have a heart attack. 
And then President Trump had that famous line that if he's president, Hillary will go to prison. And you were sitting right there. Must have been so surreal for you, wasn't it? Oh, yes, it was. And, you know, she stabs her. She shoots herself in the foot every time she turns around. I would not have even probably been involved in that had she not tweeted what she did, you know, <laughs> back in 2015, that all victims of sexual abuse should come forward and be believed and we're with you. I thought, oh my God, woman, you cannot say that, you of all people. <laughs> and so that's when I got my grandson to teach me how to use Twitter. And that's where it started, huh? Yes, yes. Well, I don't know where you learned it, but you must have learned it somewhere, the ancient... Uh, Asian technique of using your opponent's own momentum against them. Right. This is the AJ Steele Show. When we get back, Juanita will be talking about the Me Too movement, about the media, and about why she supports President Donald Trump. The AJ Steele Show. Think of your loudmouth best friend, hated by all the wives. Because he tells it just like it is. Juanita, I'd like to hear your opinion about the Me Too movement. It seems to me like they pick and choose who they like and who they don't like. They choose to believe some women and they make them into huge national heroes. And then other women they completely ignore. For example, Christine Blassie Ford, that nutty professor who made up all these stories about Judge Kavanaugh. They all believed her. They made her into a very wealthy superstar of the left. And yet someone like you who was raped by Bill Clinton, you are attacked and mostly ignored. Oh, exactly. The, the Me Too movement, I've always felt, was for the liberal women who were making complaints against they could be making complaints against Democrats, but it was for the liberal Me Too people. They wanted nothing to do with the Clinton victims, absolutely nothing. And a perfect example of that is when uh, uh, Charlotte Alter from Time Magazine called me before they were designated the the uh, person of the year mm. and uh, asked me, if I would be interested in being interviewed. And I told her, no, I've never been a part of the Me Too. They don't even acknowledge hmm. us as victims. And so then she called back later and she said, well, would you just give a statement regarding Me Too in support of Me Too? And I said, sure. Because I, at the time, I felt like they did good for a lot of women, even though they didn't include uh, a certain group of women. So I issued a, a statement in support of Me Too. And then all of a sudden, a few weeks later, it comes out that they're the person of the year. Mm. And so I looked for my comments and they weren't there. So I contacted her and I said, why did you keep badgering me to make a comment and when it's not included? And she said, well, there were just so many comments. We had to pick and choose who we needed to put into the article. So that shows you right there. It's all politics, isn't it? Exactly. In some ways, what they're doing is painting all men by the same brush. They're tarring and feathering all of us. All of a sudden, every man is a rapist. Every man that looks at somebody the wrong way or flirts with someone is a sexual predator. And what this does basically is completely negate or minimize real acts of rape and real predators that are out there. If every interaction between a man and a woman is rape now, then rape means nothing. The whole concept is diluted. Oh, I, I know. And I feel so sorry for some men. I especially feel sorry for uh, Judge Kavanaugh and his family, what they had to go through. That was, uh, that was truly disgusting. You're right. That was a total travesty. Now let's go back to Bill and Hillary Clinton. Is it me or does it seem like they're connected to every major sexual freak in this world? And all these freaks are like major donors to Bill and Hillary and to the Democratic Party. People like that homosexual killer, Ed Buck. He's the guy that was arrested for drugging and killing black people in his home. And Harvey Weinstein, the movie producer, who slept with every young starlet he could get his hands on. And I don't even know where to begin with a pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. I don't want to start sounding like a conspiracy theorist, but... Something is really rotten in the state of Denmark, and yet they never pay for their crimes. 
and nothing ever happens to the Clintons. Why is that? Where's the outrage? I know, and that's what everybody seems to be tweeting about right now, AJ, mm. is where is Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton in all of this? Why have they not been brought to justice? Why are they not being interviewed by the FBI in what they knew? And now he says he only went to uh, his New York residence, and now we have all that evidence that he went to the New Mexico president mm -hmm. uh, several times as a guest there. Th there's so much here that the mainstream media is turning their backs on. Oh, they, they get away with murder, which leads me to the last question I have about the Clintons. A lot of their business partners and friends and just regular people who spoke out against them ended up dead. I know. So, Juanita, did you ever feel in danger for telling out the truth and speaking out against the Clintons? Oh, I, I, you know, I stayed quiet for so long until 2015 after the NBC debacle. And uh, I, I guess I'm just too old now to worry about it. You know, I'll be, I'll be <laughs> 77 next week. God bless and, you. Oh, thank you. And, and uh, I just... I just don't worry about it. I still am going to have my say as long as people will listen to me. Well, my audience is for sure going to listen and I'm listening and hopefully the word will spread out. Um, let's shift a little bit to President Trump and the current state of politics. Is that okay? Oh, sure. So I, I understand you weren't always a conservative. What changed in you? Oh, gosh. Uh, right after uh, I sent that tweet out that, you know, that, that went viral in mm -hmm. response to Hillary Clinton, I was sort of looking into Trump and what did I think about him? Uh, I was really a Ted Cruz fan in, in the very beginning, but then I got more and more interested in President Trump. And then James Woods made the comment. He said <laughs> on Twitter, I love James Woods. Yeah. And he said, Trump may be vinegar, but Hillary is arsenic. And I thought, you know, I can go with that. That's exactly how I was. And I warmed up to the man. And then in May of 2016, he goes on the TV with Hannity, and they're discussing the New York Times edition with all the women on the front page or whatever page it was on, mm -hmm. accusing Trump of sexual assaults and sexual misconduct. And then Trump says, what about Clinton? What about uh, what he did? It's, it's about exposure. It's about sexual assault. It's about, and Trump finished his question and said, and right, I could have fallen out of my chair. It's as though he was speaking directly to me. And there was that word, you know, that, he got so much criticism for saying on the Hannity show, but that, were, that was the, the word that described what I went through with Bill Clinton. It, it's a horrific descriptive word, and I steered clear of it for so long before that, but not after that. Juanita, being a guy, I can tell you, we say some rude things to each other, but not every guy that talks rude or says stupid things. You, you know, we're always trying to outdo the guy next to us. It's just how many men are. And we talk stupid. We're kind of stupid sometimes. But there's a big difference between talking silly or being rude amongst other guys and raping somebody. Oh, exactly. And that's when, you know, when I went to that second debate, I had just tweeted after that Hollywood Access uh, tape came out. And I tweeted that actions speak louder than words. I said, uh, Bill Clinton raped me. Hillary tried to silence me. Donald Trump said some bad words. I said, I don't think there's any comparison. You know, that's a beautiful way to put it. And I've been following your Twitter account for many years now, at Juanita Broderick. And you're no shrieking violet when it comes to expressing your opinions, right? Well, I'm a little abrasive, but that's just my nature. You know, I, I, I just have to tell it like it is. You know, and I love that. But were you always this strong and vocal, or are you just trying to keep up with President Trump? I think I'm trying to keep up with President Trump. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, no. I, I, I was more introverted until I came out, uh, you know, back in 2016. I just, I just sort of got a voice, AJ. And, um, and it's gotten louder. I noticed that you said that Trump was saying what you think or what you, you felt. 
And in some ways, a lot of us felt that same way, not just about your case, but about our feelings about our country. I'm an immigrant myself, and I came here, but I love America, and I don't have any anger towards white people or black people or Spanish people. I love everybody. And, but I realized that this is a Western country, and I really appreciate what this country did for me. So it really bothers me when people are putting our country down day in and day out. Oh, I know. It's, it's very disturbing. Look what this man fighting against the Democrats for three years has done. What he's done for our economy, what he's done for jobs, what he's done for trade. It's, to me, he's an amazing individual. Now, what are your thoughts about the impeachment that uh, Madam Cruella de Pelosi has been putting on for the past couple of weeks? Oh, I think it's the biggest mistake they could make. But let them make it, AJ, because they are assuring Donald Trump a second presidency. You know, they, 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 there's no doubt that they have ruined their chances of keeping a majority in the House. I truly believe that after the 2020 elections that we will have a majority in everything and Donald Trump president again. Well, I hope you're right, but I have to remind all my listeners and all your friends, we have to vote because a lot of people think it's, you know, it's a done deal, but we all have to vote and we have to be out there and promoting President Trump, in my opinion. Oh, exactly. We cannot let down. We, I mean, we know that they have done this most horrible thing that the majority of the American citizens do not go along with, but we can't let down. I mean, we've got 11 months to go. AJ Steele, not right, not left, just right. You know, Juanita, in my previous life, before I was a talk show host, I used to be a businessman and I used to manage thousands of people, thousands of employees. And when you're the boss, everybody takes a shot at you. There's lots of slings and lots of arrows. But I've never seen anyone like President Trump. The kind of stuff that he has taken, the kind of incoming he's taken is unbelievable. And I can't imagine anyone but him just being there, standing tall and handling all of these attacks from every side, from every direction on a daily basis. I know, on such little sleep, and just get right back up and start in again. I, I tell you, he is amazing. No, I agree, and I think as a businesswoman, you, you realize that there's very few people like him. Exactly. That's what I've always told people, we, that we didn't vote for him to be our pastor or our spiritual advisor. We voted for him to straighten out our government. Juanita, all I can say is from your mouth to God's ears. Now, the press just hates President Trump so much. It's like they have a mission to destroy him. And let me tell you, I live out here in Northern California, and the loathing and hatred of President Trump is very, very real out here. What is it about him? What is it about President Trump that brings out such strong reactions? I think it all hinges from Hillary losing. They cannot get over that their candidate lost. It's, uh, it's mind-boggling. You're probably right about all this, Juanita. I also think a little bit is the fact that he's an alpha male. He tells it like it is. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. He just, he's just a very practical man. And some people, especially lazy people or beta males or government employees, they don't like that. They don't like men of action. They like talk and they like to sit around and to yap for hours and get nothing done. Now, as for me, I don't care about the optics. I care about results. When I run a business, when I hire someone, I expect them to give me results. And that's the only thing I care about. And I think the American people made a very, very wise choice when they hired President Trump. Because as far as I can see, he's been delivering on all of his promises. Yeah, that, that, that was the same thing with me when I ran my businesses. Yeah. You know, I'd, I, would, uh, I'd, I would be kind to people, but I wouldn't put up with any crap. Absolutely. Absolutely. Juanita, I think we both know how hard it is to run a business, especially when you're dealing with human lives and families and patients and residents and employees. And you learn real quick who has your back, who's a good employee and who just sits there and does nothing and talks all day. And you learn real quick to appreciate the good workers, the good people, and to be very happy that you got rid of all the bad ones. I know, I know. It's, um, 
it's amazing what this man has done. You know, he's, he's running our government like a business, and that's how it should be run. And the Democrats can't stand it. They want to run the government like they want to run it, and he's not going to let them do it. No, and I actually think that President Trump runs the country with a lot of heart, too. He doesn't get a lot of credit for it, but a lot of his policies have improved the lives of millions and millions of Americans of every color, of every race, of every sex. And he never gets any credit for that. Oh, my goodness, yes. Who do you think is his most dangerous Democratic opponent? I don't think there is one. <laughs> I, and, and people keep saying that Hillary's going to get into the, the race. And I think that's a very much of a possibility. And I hope she does. You know, I, I would love to see her lose again. She, she's arrogant enough to try. I really think she is. Oh, I do too. But there's, they, they have no one. They, they have no one. Uh, they're probably going to end up with Biden. Mm-hmm. If he's not indicted, <laughs> but well, you know he might he might end up in a nursing home himself pretty soon. That when he's talking, uh, yeah, he he can't say a a sentence correctly, no. uh, and he's he's just too weird these days. <laughs> the things that he talks about has nothing to do with the presidential campaign. Uh, there, it's just too weird. But I I don't think that Elizabeth Warren has the ability to go up against Trump at all. And as far as Bloomberg, no, he, he's, I don't know why he's getting into the race. A lot of people like their name in lights. Now, we're almost done with our interview, and I had such a wonderful time with you, Juanita. And uh, I'd like to ask you a question about your book. You wrote a book called You'd Better Put Some Ice on That, How I Survived Being Raped by Bill Clinton. Where can the listeners of the AJ Steele Show purchase it? Uh, they can either go to Amazon or they can go to my website, JuanitaBroderick.com, and, and, and get the book there. Hmm. Well, I hope uh, a lot of people are reading it because I, I think you have wonderful things to say and you're very, very bright. And you told me you're almost 77. You sound like a 25-year-old to me. Oh, I love you, AJ. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So, Juanita, we're almost done. And this is my last question for you. Juanita, in many ways, you are an important part of the history of our country. I'm not sure if you set out for it to be that way, but you've carried the heavy burden with grace and dignity. Do you have any final words for the listeners of the A.J. Steele Show? I certainly thank you for that, th- those kind comments. You know, my uh, political comments are still a, a work in progress. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, Juanita, it was a great honor and pleasure to talk to you. I wish you good health and all the best in your future endeavors. And like I told you before, if you ever visit the San Francisco Bay Area, don't forget to look me up, okay? Because I will take you out to a nice lunch and we're going to talk some more, okay? Oh, that's great, AJ. I will. All I really want to be is a guy that gets a girl. All I really want to be. The A.J. Steele Show, copyrighted 2019.